0: My name is Esmeralda. I am from Mexico. My country is very beautiful, but is also very poor, and so many of us have to emigrate. My life in my country was a beautiful life because that is where I grew up, with my parents and my siblings. We lived poorly, but we were very united. What I liked most was the food and the place where I lived, which was in the country, without having to worry about how to pay rent, how to pay electricity, or how to pay for water. So many times it is very sad not to have a job and a little bit of food. I miss the people, I miss the food, I miss the natural beauty of the ranch where I grew up and my parents and brothers and sisters. I have the hope to go back and be with them so that I can enjoy the nature and the food and the water and many more things. My life in the U.S. has been very difficult since I arrived, it has been very sad. I was alone with nothing and with no one. It was very difficult because my dream was something totally different than what I thought. I thought when I arrived that everything would be easier, but it was not. I suffered a lot. I didn't have the liberty to be where I want, but after all my suffering, I have my family now. I have my husband. I have my life. I have my son. And I thought before that I could not move forward, but now things are changing. After all the suffering, I realized that here... In the US, it doesn't matter who you are or where you came from. If you don't have people to support you, then you can't move forward. There have been people in places and they have opened the doors for me and my family. I am okay now. I'm not saying I'm very happy because I don't have my parents with me, but I am doing better than before and I'm learning many, many things. And I know I will learn many more. My name is Momo Kahing. I came from Thailand actually i was born in Ayradi division Poe pon village miramar i love Miramur. we are four brothers and sisters after i got married i followed my husband life in burma is very difficult so i could not complete my education due to my parents difficulty they could not put me in school i have a very limited education that's the reason i got married and i followed my husband wherever he went i have two kids my husband took me to the refugee camp. In the refugee camp, everyday life is tough, hard, but fortunately, we crossed over all that situation. The future for my children is hopeless in a refugee camp. The food and everything they provide is difficult, but fortunately, we survived seven years in the refugee camp. At that time, I got a very good opportunity to resettle to the United States. I got an interview and medical tests completed, and we came to America. After we got here in the United States, it is a very developed country, especially for my kids. I have a very positive view and deep hope for them. And I know that there is a good opportunity as much as we try ourselves, and so the future is open here and I feel safe in our life here. Our lives are protected, especially the family life. If we try, we get what we work for. I try to solve my personal difficulties. I want to rely on myself. The people of the United States, their warm welcome gave me strength. My name is Habibo Sheik. I am from Somalia. In Somalia, I did not have an opportunity to go to school because of the violence, but I always wanted to go to school and have an education, although I didn't have that opportunity. I like to work, and I'm looking for an opportunity that gives me a job that I can do. In this time of my life, I am optimistic. I am optimistic that I will get a job somehow. My name is Berka Bahardur Golan. I am from Bhutan. In my country, I worked in construction and as a security guard. There were rivers in the country, so I went to the rivers and collected stones, sand, and aggregate, and sold the aggregate, stones, and sand, and in that way, I made income to support my family. From that, I used to buy meat and other necessary items. Also, I used to raise pigs, chickens, and ducks. And I also used to work in the fields. The life in America is good. Now, it is very good. But we don't know in the future. It is unknown. But people say America is very good for living. So, I think so. In the future, I think I will be the same as other people. I don't have much to say because I am very new here. My name is Mohammed Saeed. I am from Iraq. But I lived in Baghdad since birth. But as a family, we lived in the north. I have been living alone in Baghdad and all these problems and fear and instability. But my aim in Baghdad was to get married and become a family, but I couldn't because of the hardship. It was very hard to get a job. Every day you hear death or news that it's not healthy, not good. So for the last seven years, I tried to escape from there and come to the United States of America. That was my dream. I was thinking day and night how to go there and what is the process to come here. But it was hard because hundreds and hundreds want the same dream that I had. Many want to come here. It was hard. Then luckily, I got through the process and came here in February 2013. So now I'm starting my dream, my forever dream, that I will be living here in the U.S. and all this healthy life and freedom, and I am exercising now. I am seeing a great difference that what I had dreamed, and now I am in my real dream. Even I helped some of new Iraqis. They need something they don't know how that I know, and the life is good. Everybody coming here as a refugee, They have their own different dreams. So now hopefully I will make a family and hopefully I will live here in this beautiful country. Well, there you go. There's a handful of stories of refugees that have come to America seeking a better life, seeking education, healthcare, uh, food, (laughs) sanity, safety, a better life for their children, for their parents. Human beings who are seeking asylum in a country that was founded on the concept of asylum. The conversation I had that follows is with Andrew Earhart, and he helps assimilate refugees once uh, once they get to America and have passed all the millions of tests. It was a great discussion. I learned a lot, and I hope you do too, and... I don't have much more to say about that other than there'll be links, of course, on HeyHumanPodcast.com, references to what Andrew and I discuss, and thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Hi, Andrew. Hey, how are you doing? I'm very well. Thanks for uh, being on the podcast. Oh, no, I'm
1: glad glad to have the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, My name is Andrew Erhard, and I've I've worked with uh, immigrants and refugees primarily since about 2008, and in Portland, Oregon, I get involved with an outfit called the Immigrant and Refugee Community Organization. And the work that I did for them is to I'm an instructional designer so I build training programs and so I was building training programs for cultural adaptation and workplace skills mm-hmm. adaptation to help refugees adapt to living in the US. So building programs on how do you interact with the police, how do you interact with your children's teachers, how do you interact with the medical system, the banking systems, things like that. And then for workforce, uh, how do you communicate your skills, what are some cultural norms around interviews, how do you fill out job applications, a lot of of kind of rubber hits the road sort of stuff. So that's the work that I've done. I worked for them from 2008 until end of 2015. And then more recently, I've been here in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. I've done a little bit of work with some of the communities here. There's a big Zomi community here How in Nashville. Zomi? The Zomi are one of the minority ethnic groups of Burma or Myanmar, and okay. those words are, are somewhat controversial themselves. You know, who likes to use uh, which term? It's an incredibly complex uh, part of the world. And I, and I would say that one thing that we can say generally about refugees is There is no one typical refugee except for the fact, you know, the kind of the defining thing with refugees is the story usually starts with the soldiers came and things went downhill in apocalyptic ways after that. Yeah. Um, But they're from all over the world. They're of all faiths. They're of all educational backgrounds. I think that we tend to think of a refugee as being... Someone huddled against a dust storm, you know, uh, you know, that's been living out in the in the jungle somewhere or sure. in the desert. These are doctors and and, and these are doctors and, and lawyers, and, and you know, and, and literally like hydraulics engineers and dentists and judges and mechanics and yeah. farmers and people who are illiterate in their native languages. I think and, that's a really good
0: point that right. um, that there is this image of what a refugee stands for, especially mm-hmm. in America, right? You know, now maybe more so ever than than it was when our. Grandparents,
1: well, this, you know, parents, this yeah. business with the Syrians right now has um, brought a lot of interest in Syrian refugees, and, and certainly that's significant. I can't, I don't think that we, I don't think, certainly even I can't really imagine how bad things are in Syria. Um, but this has drawn a lot of attention uh, to the refugee crisis. Um, but there are there are and there have been refugees from all over the world, Steadily, I mean, this is this is not a new thing. This has been going on for a long time. Yet, and the U.S. actually resettles a whole lot of refugees, and we have a reasonably good program here. And I'll tell, talk a little bit about some of the details. So, before ago.
0: we get into the nuts and bolts of all of that, sure. What, what, I mean, that's quite a mission for a man to take on in his life. What, what made you decide to go into this? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I
1: mean, I felt like I was very fortunate to be. Getting a paycheck for something that I really love to do—it's yeah. and uh, it's kind of a sexy occupation, you know. I mean, it, you know, it's it's a neat way to make a living. I, I can't complain about it at all. I did get laid off from my job in 2015, and so uh, the funding can be pretty tenuous. But you know, you just gotta get In there and figure it out, I'm not, I'm not too worried about so it.
0: So, what brought you to this career path? Well, I, you know,
1: I fundamentally for me, everything proceeds from really believing that we're all brothers and sisters, and so I think that my time um, in the world is best used by you know serving other people, and so that's that's you know, I, I think that I'm just it's it's kind of a calling thing, yeah. And I'm in you're a human so being, I'm a human, yeah, and that's yeah. and I really appreciate and value other humans or, or try to, yeah. okay so uh, one of the things if you don't mind let me turn the questions around and see kind of what what you might know how would you define the difference between a refugee and an immigrant Uh,
0: that's a good question I would think that a refugee is someone who comes out of a situation that's hostile and tenuous and arrives into a situation where they're not prepared whatsoever they've just sort of been Cold, stuck on a vehicle of some sort of transport and off their shift to whatever receiving place there there is and an immigrant to me has a plan i guess or even family okay. you know um from the immigrant quote-unquote that i know the good kurds a couple mm-hmm. of kurds that i know There's a large kurdish population here um there's such a huge network here Right. So when they when they immigrate here, they're assimilated. Right. Right. And also, I think an immigrant is somebody that, in my mind, somebody that has made the application process. I guess I don't know. It sounds more legal than that. not that a refugee is illegal, but I mean that the concept of a refugee is basically just yep. showing up and going, please somebody for God's sake, help me.
1: Well, it, the issues of legality are certainly part of it, and you also bring up the significance of arriving in to a town uh, or whatever where there's already uh, you know, people of your background have already shown up. Like if, if I was a Kurd and showed up in, in Nashville, there's a huge Kurdish community here. Um, and how much more challenging it is if like literally back in Portland, I knew a guy who he was the only guy, there was one other guy in three counties that spoke his language. That's and tough. so the, yeah. the differences between showing up where there is a community and when there's not already a community developed can, can be pretty significant. I mean, there are people that both speak English
0: that don't communicate well. Sure. <laughs> you sure. Know? So then it are sure. mix a whole other right. language. And right. That's going to be terrifying for the person. Well, you know, it's,
1: it's kind of a... It, it, yes, it's, it's a huge mountain to climb to adjust to living in a new culture for anybody. I mean, I lived in Japan for a while, and, and that's tough. And I could come home anytime I wanted to, and I had a job, and, yeah. you know, and all kinds of things. So And people spoke English. Some, but you know, and, and in fact, I think, think that's one of the things I'd like to uh, explore with you today, the significance of people's... There's a lot of misunderstanding about the capacity to learn to speak English, and how does that happen and, and the significance of it and, what it and how that relates to assimilation, integration.
0: It's a really difficult
1: uh, language. Yeah, it, it is, it is. But, you know, I mean, you put a man on the moon, you know, it, others have done it and others will continue to do it. It can be done. There, there's a lot around that. But uh, to come back to the idea of legally what a refugee is, the, when we, now, like, by definition... The people who headed out of New Orleans after Katrina, those mm-hmm. are refugees. They couldn't stay where they were for some reason. Okay, mm-hmm. The folks that are leaving L.A. right now because of the fires, technically they're refugees. That makes sense. Okay? Something happened that you can't stay home. Basically, that's kind of a good way. And when I say can't, it's like you can't stay where you were. There's no option for many folks but to leave. I think that most people would rather have stayed home And, you know, been happy cruising along with their lives there than to have been forced to leave to a second country or to do third country repatriation, which is what we see when refugees come to the U.S. So there's an outfit called the United Nations High Council on Refugees. And there is a legal status of refugee. So when somebody comes here as a refugee, they're legal to work. Um, They're legal to, I mean, their kids can go to school. They can access medical care. They're all here legally. There's no legal status. Um, The the government knows that they're here, and they've gone through a pretty significant vetting process that we'll talk about here in a little while. But the definition, according to the UNHCR, if you don't mind, I'm going to read this off to you because I don't know it off the top of my head. Okay. So this is how the United Nations High Council on Refugees defines a refugee. Owing to a well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group or political opinion, is outside the country of his nationality and is unable to, or owing to such fear, is unwilling to avail himself of the protection of that country or return there because there is a fear of persecution. Mm-hmm. So basically there are some, there are some criteria there are some legal criteria that you must meet to be recognized as a refugee. Okay, and so that's significant. So when we talk about uh, refugees coming here to the U.S., they've they've gone through a vetting process, and they have met this definition of what a refugee is. Okay. Mm-hmm. So any questions about that? No. That, pretty that sure makes it. sense. Okay. So uh, and again, this will be the the second and only thing that I'll just straight up read to you, if you don't mind. There is an excellent short publication that was put together by the folks in Greensboro, uh, the Center for New North Carolinians of Refugee Fact Checkers. And I think it's worth going through this to kind of uh, flesh out what is that vetting process? Yeah, I think that's great. Do you mind me reading I don't, in fact,
0: I mean, I think that's important because in general, in America, I'm not gonna speak for Mm -hmm. other countries, I don't know how they feel about refugees, but just from the things I've read online Mm -hmm. and news and, and social medias and stuff, People are pretty ignorant about it, and they're just concerned that basically they're just piling up terrorists and shipping them into America. You know, that's the rhetoric, which is <laughs> insane.
1: Well, you know, we have... Our situation is distinct from what's happening in Europe and that just physically, geologically, you can't just have thousands and thousands of people walking into the U.S. in the way that, that Europe is seen. I think it's dismissive to to say that people who are concerned about the refugee crisis and what it's going to do to their native countries and the influx of large numbers of people—that is a concern. I mean, that that affects everything. I mean, even here in Nashville, we think about the what is it, eighty people a day who are moving here, mm-hmm. and what's that going to do to our writers. schools and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that that can't be good. But no, anytime you drag, anytime a whole lot of people show up into a system and are needing to access services and learn to contribute to that system, Thanks. it's a huge deal. And so I don't, I I I really try not to either demonize the people who are concerned Mm -hmm. about huge numbers of people from different language, cultural backgrounds, and unknown safety issues Mm -hmm. showing up. It's not crazy to be concerned about that. And it's also not crazy to care about these people. And I think the key is to help them become contributing members Mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that is what most refugees urgently desire to do. So anyway, let's get back to this, yep. like, this business on the, uh, on the vetting process. Okay. So again, this was put together by the fine folks over at the Center for New North Carolinians over in Greensboro. And okay, so definitions. The terms refugee and asylum seeker are often used interchangeably. However, their political meanings are very different. Now, we just covered yeah. the definition of refugee. Right. Okay. So, the, owing to a well-founded, of person being persecuted and so on and so forth. An asylum seeker is someone who says he or she is a refugee, but whose claim has not yet been definitively evaluated. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, again, this implication that a refugee, of the legal status of a refugee is somebody who's been vetted, their, mm-hmm. their case has been reviewed. Sure. An asylum seeker is somebody who's shown up and says that they are a refugee and by definition they are a right. refugee but not by legal definition the thing that They're comes to mind nice. when
0: i hear that is olympians all the time it seems <laughs> like in the 80s people were asylum seekers who were you know gymnasts and you know right right yeah right
1: the, the russians who or wanted the to in the, okay the, right right yeah. i remember about that i remember yeah. about that that's a good okay. to mind for me all right and, and you'll, if you'll notice when you're watching the news about refugee issues now, you'll hear, especially in reference to what's going on in Europe, asylum seeker, asylum seeker, asylum seeker, okay? And again, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people who have suddenly showed up into the system. Sure. Okay? Until they have been vetted, they are asylum seekers. Okay. And, that's, and so I think it's good to, to know the difference between a refugee and asylum seekers.
0: So once they've gone through the vetting process, then… Then they
1: can… They can be granted the legal status of a refugee, refugee. and all
0: that comes with that. And all that
1: comes with that, right. Okay, so moving on then. When large masses of refugees flee a country at the same time, there is not the capacity to conduct individual asylum interviews for everyone. This can result in large groups being declared prima facie refugees, and I may have mispronounced that. It's F-A-C-I-E because fascia. of okay but I, but I prima facie thank like, you thank you thank you thank you
0: my latin is rough yeah.
1: from childhood. <laughs> well mine is apparently rougher so because of its geographic location the u.s will never experience large numbers of prima facie refugees arriving from syria and i will note that this document was put together uh, mostly course. in reference yeah. to what's going on with the syrian refugee crisis okay so general considerations systems evaluate the claims of asylum seekers to assess whether or not the individual or family unit actually qualifies for international protection under the refugee designation to qualify for refugee status the individual cannot have been engaged in any fighting or terrorist activities Mm -hmm. okay now resettlement to the united states obtaining refugee or prima facie it doesn't
0: we'll look it up later
1: (laughs) Refugee status does not make an individual eligible for resettlement to the U.S. Okay. So even if in in the border country where they've gone to, yeah. just having been recognized as a refugee does not yet enable them to come to the U.S. Yeah. Okay. It's only the first. That's the cases, first step. Right. Yeah. That's the first hurdle. Medical and security checks must be completed before a refugee will be considered for resettlement. Sure. There are the a US? lot
0: of diseases happening in other countries that we've sure. got? Under sure. control here, right?
1: Well, sure. here in Nashville, recently there was a lawmaker who was—he um, was making a pushback against refugees being resettled here on uh, tuberculosis. Tuberculosis, of tuberculosis. yeah. Um, tuberculosis. I've I've known a lot of folks who have had to be treated for tuberculosis in in Portland. It's not that it's it's not a shock to people who are used to refugees coming sure. into a system. For for them to have uh, diseases that they that need to be addressed. I mean, I and went I, to
0: England uh, a few years back and spent some time, and they tested me for TB when I got okay. back. It's just part of part, of the, part of the deal. It's okay. just part of the deal.
1: Right. So again, again, um, I, I, I I don't like to demonize people for saying there's this concern. Let's be aware of this concern, but this is a this is not a deal breaker concern in my.
0: Right, but it makes sense that uh, the gatekeepers would right. make sure that you're not, right. you know, don't have Ebola or sure, sure, or right. some, you know, the plague or whatever. Yeah, we're trying to cut down on um, plague. Yeah, we can't, uh, it you know. comes up every now and again. Sure, the United States had a bubonic plague outbreak a little while ago. Did okay. we? Yeah, I can't remember which state. I have a very dear friend in the CDC, very high ranking in the okay. CDC, and she kind of, she and I have these intense talks that are, <laughs> yeah. She's like, if you knew what I knew, (laughs) you'd never leave your house. (laughs) Anyway,
1: come on. Uh, Okay, so uh, again, back to the documents. Security measures in place. Refugees are vetted through background check processes involving the U.S. Departments of State, Homeland Security, the National Counterterrorism Center, and the Federal Bureau of Investigations, among other national intelligence agencies. Background checks use biometric data, including fingerprints and retina scans. The average background check takes between eighteen and twenty-four months to complete.
0: My goodness. So where where do they stay during all this? Are there detention I, places? I,
1: I, we're talking about all over the world, and so my imp- this United yeah States. I, this would be prior to coming to the United oh, States. Somebody okay. wouldn't arrive here without having gone through this process.
0: So so I'm a I'm somebody that's fleeing my country. Right. There's chaos reigning right. supreme. And I reach out to America and say, hey, would okay. you take me in? Right. Right. And then the two-year process begins of where I'm being vetted by yes. America's So let's say agency. you're
1: in Somalia. You leave Somalia. A good chance is you're going to go to Kenya. And then you're probably, you maybe you're going to be there a month. Maybe you're going to be there 15, 18 years. Maybe you're going to die there. You have no way of knowing. Okay. But that's where you'll have to go through the vetting process.
0: But it's. So we have people there, are we, are we are uh, they Yes, or are they yes. I, I don't know the details okay. of that. All
1: right. I, okay. That goes down to honest okay. with you. All right. But the vetting process takes place outside, outside of the, the country.. That, yeah. Yeah. Got it. So, and, and this is for Syrians, or folks out of Bhutan, or folks out of Iraq, or sure. you know, folks out of anywhere. This is a process that they all go through before coming here. Okay. Now, specific to the Syrians, Syrian refugee applicants already have to go through additional security measures... And again, I'm reading again from the document here. U.S. intelligence agencies rely on their own intelligence and the intelligence of their allies. They do not rely solely on source country data, which may be inadequate or unreliable. Of the 784,000 refugees who have resettled in the U.S. since 9-11, three have been arrested for terrorist activities. Uh, Read
0: that statistic again, please.
1: Yes. Of the 784,000 refugees who have resettled in the U.S. since 9-11, three have been arrested for terrorist activities. Two of the three were planning attacks outside the U.S., now this data is based on 2015 figures. Okay,
0: but I just, I think that's so important. I mean, that is a tiny yes, tiny fraction. Mm-hmm. There have been more domestic acts of terrorism by our own, you know, by Americans sure. than there have been by refugees. Yes. I just think that's a
1: really important thing to I think. I do t- I do too, that that's a, well, you know, you can always bend statistics around and whatnot, but those those are some Still, pretty significant numbers, yeah. Two or three. Yeah. If there's any doubt, and again from the document, if there's any doubt that an individual poses security concern, he or she will not be selected for resettlement and are removed from further refugee processing. Now, that's all from the document. One thing that I would say, having spoken to a dear friend of mine from the Middle East, uh, the U.S., for a lot of people, is not their first choice of where they would want to go, and not because they don't value our that culture makes, or our freedoms or anything like that. Like, I say that all the time, I'm like, yeah. why do we want
0: to come here?
1: Well, be- <laughs> We're because... We're so Yeah, well...
0: Freedom and mean opportunity. Girl in high you know,
1: as, as Americans, it's hard for us to see the significance of freedom and opportunity that realistically do exist here. I just, I look at us like yeah. the, the
0: mean girl in high school, like the head cheerleader. Yeah. She's like, I'm so cool. The cool,
1: yeah. yeah, we can be kind of the cool kids, yeah. But you know, we we are not who we think we are as Americans. Americans are everybody, you know, anybody. That's you the know, thing. This is a multicultural grandparents country, grandparents. and so yeah, so. But uh, but this fellow was telling me that from his community, it's well known that it's a one- or two-year process just to get vetted to come to the United States. So that's a big challenge. So you know you're just going to be stuck somewhere until you go through that whole process, and then maybe you don't get approved for, for any one of a number of reasons. Do
0: you have statistics on... Compared approved to versus non-approved?
1: No, I don't. But if you like, I'll follow up. Yeah, on that. yeah. Okay. And then um, I can Google it. <laughs> okay. And then another reason why it's more attractive to go to some other countries is there are more robust support systems. Like maybe you get to go to a country where your kids are going to get to go to college for free, or there's free medical care, or the cost of living is sure. significantly lower. The U.S. is a tough place to come to. Because it's it's a real, it's a real sink or swim outfit. Mm-hmm. Uh, refugees will get about six months of support upon having arrived, which is basically food stamps and and some health care. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are, they get like a month or two of rent covered, and then they're on their own. Mm-hmm. And so you're talking about for a lot of folks even. Some are fortunate to show up with language skills, many are not, and so many are just scrambling to get that first job, and to, again and again and again, um, refugees talk to me about their desire to become contributing members of the culture that they're living in, Mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that they feel as adults, one of the greatest losses that they experience is that in their country... They were a person of significance. They knew how to do things. They knew how to contribute. Mm-hmm. And to have been in limbo for a month or five years or 20 years.
0: What that would do to a man, a woman. What well, that would do to anybody. Just, yeah. to be,
1: just to be you yeah. know, on the sidelines of yeah. your life with no control sure. over that next step. What, yeah. I mean, I've been out of work for about a year now. I've been very fortunate to have a big fat savings account um, and to have been able to do some kind of piecemeal work here and there. But it's been horribly mentally disrupting to me to be disconnected from the work that I do that's a contribute, contribution sure. to the world that I live in. And, you know, and, and I eat in, you know, I eat every day and sleep inside, so my situation is pretty easy. All right. So, uh, I, I, you know, my heart just really goes out to folks. And, and you're talking about, you know, in the refugee camps, you know, your kids... Let's say your kids don't go to school for four or five years. What happens to them when they then get to another country? What happens? You know, you you miss a generation of education. Your whole culture just just hit the bricks. Okay, yeah. that's one of the things that's happening with the Syrians. So, does the Red cross, cross
0: go in and, and give education? Do they help with that sort of thing? Or?
1: There, there is a de- you know there are degrees of support, but you know, uh, there's.
0: I did a police state once inside a refugee camp? I mean, are they protected?
1: I'm very fortunate to, uh, in November, I'm going to be visiting Burma and visiting some of the refugee camps that are on the Thai-Burma border, and we'll have a little bit better of a sense of that. Um, I would encourage anybody to just uh, do some YouTube videos on refugee camps and get a sense of what's really going on there. That's the other end of the tunnel from what I'm familiar with now. What I see is people emerging from this tunnel, of having been in limbo and now trying to adapt to what it's like in the states do they provide
0: psychological services too you know again
1: we're we're talking about i mean here oh yes i think that that will vary depending on the services systems that are set up wherever you land i know that in portland there was some uh, psychological support available but then you know i mean think about the challenge of how do you
0: a language speaker. Cha-
1: yeah, exactly. How do you provide uh, really good psychological support, an English speaker to an English speaker? Now, how are you going to do that to a Karen speaker? I mean, when there's nobody in town who speaks the language, how and the challenges of providing that are are, uh, are not insignificant. And, you know, I think, if anything, what I've learned from from just from spending time around refugees is that just... I'm just amazed by how often they just show up with their game face, and they're you know, they're just ready to try to to make things work. I see so little of the trauma, you know, mm-hmm. that I know they've experienced. Mm. So they're really a remarkable bunch of people. So yeah, mm.
0: wow. So explain. So now I'm here. I've made it through okay. the vetting process. Okay. Do I get introduced to somebody like you? Do I? Do I... How long till I meet you?
1: Okay, well, I can tell you about the system that I was involved with in Portland. Okay. Okay, and uh, it varies from city to city, place mm-hmm. to place. I, I know, and not every,
0: si- not every state has... You no, know, there are about a
1: dozen cities in the U.S. that are... Um, I've heard them referred to as asylum cities, I think, in, in, uh, on the radio recently. But basically, Nashville is one of them. Nashville... I call them refugee cities because that's kind of the world that I work in. Nashville is a refugee city. St. Paul, uh, Minneapolis is a refugee city. Houston, New York, uh, Los Angeles, Portland, Seattle. So there are a number of cities that were designated, I think, back in the 70s is when most of the systems were set up um, that provide services for refugees on arrival. Now, as a refugee, if you show up as a refugee, you can go wherever the hell you want to go. Okay, because you're here legally. Most likely, you're going to go someplace that you have family or friends. That's a huge benefit if you can. And most likely, you're going to go to a city that has some sort of refugee services set up. So in the system that I was working in in Portland, someone would arrive, and one of the volunteer agencies, Catholic Charities, Lutheran Family Services, and I apologize, there's also a uh, Jewish-oriented outfit that does this. The services are not denomination or religion specific mm-hmm. i mean in terms of who they serve these are just outfits that have a service systems set up someone will meet you at the airport someone will have already found you an apartment mm-hmm. a furnished apartment and this you know some of the refugee apartments that i've seen there's they're just living in really pretty bad conditions mm-hmm. in some cases and in some cases in pretty fair conditions so that it can be all over the board on that it's it's not it's not a big happy huge free ride i mean it's just barely getting by in a lot of circumstances especially in a popular city like portland or nashville where the rents are going through the roof Mm -hmm. you can imagine what challenges that puts on uh, placing refugees into housing okay so you get a ride from the airport to your new apartment and you got a place to sleep And you, within the first week, you will go through uh, medical screening and testing and any medical issues that need to be addressed will be addressed. And then you show up at a place like where I used to work and you will take uh, another screening to determine your English language level. And based on those English language levels, you'd be placed into different levels of classes. And the classes that we provided were focused entirely on cultural adaptation and uh, getting the person ready to engage in the job search as quick as possible the goal is for people to become self supporting as quickly as possible that's the that's the overarching goal of the system is to get people uh, self supporting through empl- and employment is considered the route for doing that okay so As you're going through these classes, you've got about six months. You're eligible for those classes for about six months. And during that time, you're working with what's called a job coach or employment specialist who's also working to connect you to employers Mm -hmm. in the area. So a lot of folks naturally go into food production and hospitality and kind of some of the the entry-level sort of positions that, that you would imagine somebody would go into. And, you know, again, so this this makes us think about what are some of the challenges for someone who is illiterate in their own language. You know, this is one example, somebody who can't read and write in their own language. Uh, Trying to hold down a job as a housekeeper is going to be pretty tough here in the U.S. with no language skills. Often, however, with a great desire to work. The other side of that coin is you take this, you know, this hydroelectric engineer who's in the same boat. You know, who, somebody who has been Jeez. fantastically able to contribute to their culture and their family and their well-being. Now they're trying to get a job as a housekeeper. Jeez. And what that does to somebody. Yeah. So you're talking about just people from a, a a really broad spectrum of backgrounds who are trying to... Again and again and again I, I, my honest belief is really trying to become contributors just as quickly as, as they can they, they want their kids to be okay they want themselves to be okay and they want decided. to invest yeah. in, in being here you know I, I, I really don't have a much of a sense of people showing up here looking forward to a free ride or anything like that. Most people are, are really happy to get that first job and and to try to get things off the ground. that's that's, That's kind of what happens. Now, to go a little bit further with your question of what happens when you arrive here, okay, so you've got a place to stay that you are responsible for paying your rent. I've almost never been to a refugee's house that the lights were turned on in the daytime because there's no money for electric or utilities or anything like that. You've got your rent covered for a couple of months, but everything else is on you, and so you've got people living. Living pretty cheap, you know, saving money in any way that they can, um, often often finding ways to make it work because the human capacity to survive is just so astounding. Absolutely. So, like if I come if I come to a new country and my kids are gonna start going to school, okay, so I'm gonna take this from the perspective of, of maybe a, a young father, young family. Okay, my kids are going to start going to school. They're going to pick up English pretty quickly because they're a little bit younger and right. just, you know, that that just that's the way we're built. You know, we can pick up languages more easily when we're young. But the real deal is they're picking up the language faster because they're listening, reading, writing, and speaking in English for eight hours a day. It's immersion. It's, yeah, it's it's the in-depth, it's the time spent in the language that enables you to pick it up. Okay, so now me, as, as the young father, I may be fortunate to get a job. Now, let's compare the difference between if I get a job as a cashier or if I get a job in a production facility, okay? In the production facility, my need to communicate in English is going to be very limited. And there's a fair chance, unfortunately, that there will be other people from my language background that are working there as well. And so, my need, so now my eight hours a day are either not speaking English or remaining in my native language. Okay, so that and as an adult, it slows things down. My my ability to pick up the language is a little bit tough. And I have
0: to just to interject for a That's second. A second. It, it frustrates me when I hear people say, "Well, you live in America, you should speak English." And I don't think people realize how daunting, first of all, the English yeah. language is. That's number one. Mm-hmm. I mean, plenty of people born here can barely handle the English language. <laughs> right? And two, the comfort and safety zone of being with people that speak your language. I right. mean, it would be like if you took an American and threw them on the planet Zolark and suddenly they're not speaking Zolarkian. They don't know how to speak that. How lonely would that be? Right, right. And to not understand that.
1: Well, you know, one of the things that comes up with, with language skills, as Americans, most of us learned the one language that we know as very young people, and we don't really have a sense of what it takes to learn to speak a language. okay. A, a good way to think about it is, if I got a guitar, it may take me a couple of months just to get you know, to where I could handle, handle something like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Going out on tour is years down the road. okay. And that's a good way to think about uh, people who are learning to communicate in English. When somebody, can speak to you a little bit in English that does not it's not helpful for you to go full throttle and start giving them native-level English because they just can't work at that level. Uh, There are ways, and I'd like to talk to you a little bit about this, to kind of pitch your language level to work effectively with people who are language learners. So your point, I think, is really significant. Many people who are here whose English isn't perfect it's easy to underestimate that it took them years perhaps to get as far as they are, and they're working on it really hard. But if my job is a, and again, I'm gonna go back to my young father analogy, okay, I wake up with my family at the house in the morning, we probably spend some time, you know, eating breakfast, whatnot, there in the morning, gotta get everybody up, fed, off to school and whatnot. I go to work all day, okay, so now I'm eight hours in, and I've got that three or four hour window in the evening between you know getting home from work and going to sleep myself stacking up language lessons on top of that is is powerful but that's a huge investment i mean it's it it's like going to medical school or something like that i mean it's a really big deal for somebody to do that and you can't just turn this ship around in a day or two it takes somebody years of effort to make to make significant progress when they because of perhaps the circumstances of their employment means that they only can can even work on their language skills Mm -hmm. for a few hours a day so now let's come back to previously we'd said okay if i'm working in a factory and i'm you know i'm speaking my native language or not communicating all day long um, the challenges that that that's going to bring up now if i get happen to get a job as a cashier then all day long, it's, hello, how are you? I'm communicating with people. Even just the familiarity with making eye contact, saying hello, and having just that little short conversation, that gives you confidence. And then that person is so much more fortunate to be put into this sink or swim situation of using the language on a regular basis. So there's all kinds of factors involved in how quickly a person can pick up the language. Now, I have known people who were in their 50s and 60s who come to the U.S., and they're absolutely giving it hell, and they really do make progress with their language. Mm-hmm. But think about it. If you're 50 years old and you move to Turkey, what are the chances of you really right. getting that language? Well, like anything, now? there's going to yeah. be a few people who are right.
0: exceptional at language skills, right. just like there's great mathematicians and right. some are exceptional at music or right. whatever it is some people's brains work well for language. Well,
1: and I would say very significantly it's it's often less a question of capacity as it is opportunity. Yeah. And people people who make progress with the language are often struggling to find the opportunity to make yeah. to make that progress course,
0: America has fricatives not every language has fricatives yeah, I don't even know what it
1: is. what's a fricative
0: a, a B and a F and a you know the L okay. and R sure, and sure, those sure, are sure. tough sounds to make yeah.
1: you know I always heard that the sound the er sound in bird is the hardest sound to learn to pronounce if you're not born in a culture that produces that sound Yeah. fun fact I mean that's well, true fact. to be honest so, it
0: doesn't have to be true this is America yeah <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs>
1: well, now, let's let's come back to our family. The kids are at school. The dad's off at work. And, and this is what typically happens. The woman is often at home taking care of the house. And the social isolation experienced by women can be really significant, mm-hmm. especially perhaps because of maybe your religious background puts further constraints on who the, you're culturally familiar with, communicating with or you and, might not
0: even be allowed to speak to you, men that you don't, don't know right right Right. without some other man right. you do know present right. there's a lot of rules around that, that
1: there are a lot of rules around that and it's it's dismissive of a culture to say that that's right or wrong you know there. Sure. Uh, it's, it's just the way it is absolutely so it's just the way it is like if i went to france i wouldn't insist that my wife went topless at the beach okay <laughs> i mean it's just unreasonable it's to do that you right know, okay so people are where they are yeah Okay, so now what's going to happen is my kids are going to pick up the language pretty quickly. I may, over the next few years, pick up the language to some degree. My ability to speak the language is going to make or break my opportunities throughout the rest of my life in in this culture.
0: And it can also further separate a child from a parent.
1: Well, this this is one of the challenges. Um, Often, the children are brought in to act as interpreters for the family. And so now, again... The man who's been accustomed to being the head of the of the family and for can, you know being responsible for taking care of business is relying on their child to translate with the teachers, to translate with the doctors, and so now I've got my kid translating my medical problems to my physician. Yeah. Think about the the switch in roles that's yeah. involved there. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's something. All these you know these family dynamic stuffs that ha- things that happen within uh, newly arrived uh, families are are. are are quite challenging. And so my children very likely, if I have children born here, now I'm thinking, living, my mental process is going on, let's say, for example, in Somali, and my children's mental process is going on in English, I may never really be able to communicate effectively with my own children. So this gap that occurs between within the family of the arrival generation and the youth of that generation Mm -hmm. it can be really profound Mm -hmm. and so the challenges that your family is facing in adapting to the culture and in just maintaining your family there are some huge challenges that go on not only
0: that but i feel like it's just children um it's hard enough to be a kid right and a teenager Mm -hmm. especially where i mean when you're surrounded by everyone the same and you're a teenager, you're going to hate your parents for mm. a minute anyway. So then throw into the mix where you're from a culture that might be vilified out of ignorance for for whatever reason, because you're different. Mm. So I come into junior high school and... I'm ashamed, mm. probably, because, you know, I think that happens a well, lot. Well, the human desire to freedom my,
1: is really powerful. Yes. My right. mother
0: used to come to pick me up from junior high in her perk green rabbit, and I was like, you <laughs> have to pick me up down a there. Block away.
1: Right,
0: right, right. <laughs> so, I take all that other right. stuff and throw it in there, and, yeah. and that, I think, would create even more of a divide. Right. So,
1: so I think it's valuable. Now, just... I think that
0: perk green rabbit would be badass, <laughs> yeah. but wish we still had it somewhere in the family. Anyway.
1: I think my takeaway from all this is just to recognize that that whether immigrant or refugee, uh, you're you're. It's good to remember that these folks are often really working much harder than you might suspect to overcome challenges that that are not easy for you to detect that are overwhelmingly uh, significant in their own personal and professional lives. Sure. So that's kind of the takeaway from all of that. Yeah. You yeah. know. And so then, it's, it's not too surprising when I become a grandparent, and again, I can't speak to my grandchildren at all. Yeah. Because then the children most likely have not translated that language down, you know. And so, there's some, there's some very significant things. And, in, you know, most most refugee families that I talk to, it's not unusual for people to say, listen, my job, I got us here. I don't care. Everything goes into the success of the next generation. Mm-hmm. And so the the sacrifices that are made for that are, are often just phenomenal yeah. and heartbreaking, you know, because sure. the, the kid can't really appreciate it probably until they right. grow up or have kids of their own. So right. there's, there's some pretty significant stuff that goes on there. Yeah. So that's kind of what happens, that, that multi-generational experience of moving to a new country. And it's not just when refugees or immigrants come here. That's when, Ever, any family from any place goes to another country your culture or whatever sure. but when you pile on top of it all of the trauma that probably went on for years or decades or whatever on top of it mm-hmm. so I, I just I just you know I, I really have grown to admire the, the refugees that I've worked with just for yeah. some remarkable do you have a people. particular
0: story that you'd like to share
1: yeah uh, you know there, there was uh, There was one lady, well, there's so many, and in fact, I would encourage you, uh, and maybe we can put a link to this on the podcast. I definitely, I always Um, put the links up. I did a little uh, YouTube, or I did a short film that's on YouTube. You can look up uh, our story, Refugees Portland. And um, there are some, five or six different refugees telling a little bit about their stories um, of what happened you know before coming to the u.s and then kind of their experiences of being here so i would i would look into that i think that Mm -hmm. the refugees speaking for themselves is pretty okay i'll definitely
0: put a link up for that right right on the
1: website okay and then uh let's see there were some a couple other things i wanted to kind of cover with The (laughs) the refugee stories okay so having said all that um, and how are we doing on time?
0: Got about 15 minutes.
1: Okay. Well then, let's, let's go from some of this background information into some kind of practical things that you or I could do to, because again, I think that the capacity to communicate in English is a real deal breaker for a lot of folks. It's going to either open or close doors throughout their lives here. Mm-hmm. And so how, as... A member of the of the mainstream or native born culture, you know, what's your side of the bridge? If these people are working their asses off trying to pick up the language, what can you do yeah. to try to help build the bridge from your side? Sure. To to ensure more effective communication. Yes. Okay, so let's wrap up with some so practical tips So what we, can we do? Yeah. What can you do? Yeah. Like when? What can you do? Great. And humanity somebody? goes
0: a long way. Yeah. It,
1: well, it does. <laughs> you know, the the first step, honestly. Um, is I think that it's easy to underestimate the significance of just connecting with the person as a human. Okay. If I go to the store and I'm looking for something, I'm a lot better served to just start out with, hello, how are you than to just dive right into where's the bacon. Okay. Just making that human connection with somebody with a smile and a hello is a really big deal. Mm -hmm. Okay. Trying to communicate as a, as a language learner is pretty intimidating for a lot of folks. Now, some people are just fearless, and they'll go for it. But most people, you can do a whole lot for them just by giving these kind of social cues that I'm not going to beat you up for making a mistake, okay? So I always say start out with a smile. Everybody gets what a smile is, and a hello. That's a really big deal, okay? So that's one of the first things you can do. And then practically... Uh, okay. First thing, put space between your words. Okay. So, it may sound awkward, but, you know, when we're speaking in English, you know, like if you hear somebody speaking Spanish and you don't speak Spanish, it sounds like they're talking really fast. Super fast. It's not that they're talking fast. It's just that you don't know the language and you you can't distinguish the space between the words you you're not mentally making each word in your head because you're just hearing a series of sounds i always say
0: i read french at a fourth or fifth grade level but i hear it at a first grade level (laughs) right
1: right that's yeah that's that's a great way to think about it that's a great way to think about when you're reading something you can tell one word from the next because physically there's a space Mm -hmm. between the words now when when native speakers are communicating with each other we often omit that space Okay, so one of the best things that you can do is to put space between your words. Okay, so now I'm going to say this normally. Okay, what are you going to do after work? Okay, now compare that with what are you going to do after work? Now, you can hear the difference between those two, and the difference, it feels a little bit awkward to talk like that. It almost that. sounds
0: angry, because we're used to, when we get mad mm-hmm. at each other, Right, native speakers right, will right, be like, right. I said right. this. Right, excellent point, excellent yeah. point.
1: But what you're Tonality doing, is a lot, I think. putting space between your yeah. words, and again, it's tough to teach yourself to do that, but Choose. that really helps the other person. Choose. If I was going to say... Top two rules. Number one, smile. Number two, put space between your words. Mm-hmm. If you can only remember two things, those are huge helps to the person that you're trying to communicate with. Okay? So let me practice it on you. Okay? I'm going to say something naturally as I would naturally say it to you. You say it back to me with space between the words. Okay. Okay? What time do you want to meet?
0: What time do you want to Great.
1: That's it. That's it. And in fact, your listeners can tell you were smiling yes. when you said that. You can hear a smile. Think about it. You can hear when somebody's smiling Absolutely. on the phone. Okay, that's part of what's going on. So great, fantastic job on that. Okay. So rule number one: smile. Rule number two: put space between your between your words. Number three: pronounce the last sound of words. Okay. Hmm. In American English, we tend to drop the final sounds of things, especially in American English. Especially
0: country singers. Is that a fact? (laughs) We we drop the G off of everything. Singing. Right, right, right. Okay, good example, good
1: example, good example. example. So the one one I put down here is, I want to go to the park, okay? That in part, almost always disappears. We tend to just kind of stop a sound. Yeah. Okay. And so want
0: instead of want. and. I want.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So taking the time to put those final sounds on the words. The rain is staying
0: on the plane.
1: It, it really helps folks out a lot because oftentimes they've been exposed to it. Students all the time saying... I'm in class. I can understand my teacher. I can understand what's in the book. I go out in the street and I've got nothing, okay? (laughs) And so what we're talking about here, again, is situations where communication is the goal. Mm -hmm. There are times when you're trying to teach somebody something that you do want to use slang, that you do want to speak naturally and normally. I mean, that's the eventual goal. But sometimes you're trying to get a point across. Sure. Okay, so that's what we're talking about.
0: And be patient. And be patient. That's got to be on the list somewhere. (laughs) It is.
1: It is. Okay? So come back. Smile. Number one, space between the words. Pronounce the last sounds of words. The next one, I'd say, speak in a normal tone of voice. There is a tendency for people either to start talking louder. Yeah. When when they're not effectively communicating, yeah. uh, that makes the other person uncomfortable. Sure. And then we can also kind of baby talk people and kind of. Speak to them as if they were children, which is ass- insulting to an adult. Absolutely. Okay? So maintaining a normal and positive tone of voice carries, carries a lot of weight. And just try to keep track of using really basic words and simple grammar. Okay? When we're communicating in English, we tend to say things in very polite ways uh, that are grammatically quite complex Or we tend to use words that are sort of complicated so that we can give the impression of authority or intelligence. Mm -hmm. And those things can be really challenging. So again, I've got a couple of examples um, to to flesh that out. Okay, so let's look at this. Uh, If I was to say to you, could I get you to run down to the store and pick us up a case of Coke? Okay, this could I get you to... That m- makes a lot of sense to you. Yeah. I'm being nice. Yeah. I'm assuming that I'm making an imposition on you, and in my language, I'm recognizing that I'm being polite and being respectful to a language learner. That's a very complex chunk of words. Okay. So again, could I get you to run down to the run down? Doesn't make any me. sense. I really the could right. I get you to? Doesn't <laughs> make any sense. Sure. Pick pick us up. That's case slang. there's a lot there's a yeah. lot of language in there that's difficult to decipher and it's most of it's in there because you're trying to be polite okay so now let's compare that to please go to the store buy coke right that okay? makes total sense keep the please in there because you still want to show that respect to the other person in consideration of them but simplify not dumb down simplify yes. the message Okay. I'm, I
0: giggle because I remember being about uh, my brother uh, when I was young, I'm seven years younger than my older brother okay and he got his ears pierced okay and uh, it was dinner time, my family's sitting on the dinner table and I know my brother's ears are pierced, but my parents do not know this, and my father glances over at my brother jeremy and and sort of takes it all in and then he says. I'll never forget this. It actually burned in my brain. He said self-mutilation for the purposes of adornment is a characteristic of a savage people. <laughs> that, that, that's what he that said. That is a mouthful. I know. And when <laughs> I when, I, when I later retold that, my friend was like, What is mean? I said, It means you shouldn't have got your ears pierced, <laughs> right. you young <know>, kid. <laughs> right, you know that's right, what that means, right, you know? Right. And right. language is everything. Sure,
1: sure. It's funny. No, that you're 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 heading in the right direction there, yeah. Look at your message and don't dumb it down. Don't baby it down. Just simplify. Simplify the way you're saying it. And then uh, finally, asking someone if they understand is usually pointless. Uh, Asking a language learner if they understand something. They are usually so intimidated and so nervous about trying to communicate with you in the first place that they're not... uh, Admitting ignorance is culturally not cool for a lot of people. Well it's a patronizing not...
0: statement no matter who you're saying it to anyway. Do you understand? Well it, it can be it, very patronizing.
1: It, it what what's what's often happening, honestly, the native speaker is often uncomfortable with the interaction as well mm-hmm. because as a native speaker I'm not getting the kind of feedback that I expect from somebody just that demonstrates understanding. And so it's natural for me to say, do you understand? And then if the person says, yes, I assume they do, I can tell you from my experience, I would never assume that that's a false assumption. The person is more likely to say yes because they're exhausted from trying. They're afraid. They just want to nod and smile and get out of the interaction. And and if you're counting on them to operate a forklift, now you've got big, big, big problems. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that do you understand is not really... all all, such a useful way to do it. If in the forklift situation, if this was really crucial, I would ask the person to tell me what I just told them, that allows me to check their understanding. That makes sense. Okay, Just that do you understand doesn't, doesn't really do all that much. I'm gonna go right back through those one more time. Smile, put space between your words, pronounce the last sounds of words, normal tone of voice, simplify your message, And don't bother asking somebody if they understand. Those are some of the practical things that you can do to to build your side of the bridge in communication with someone else. I do feel like it's valuable for us to all share a, a native language here in the States. I do think that learning to speak English is, you know, we need that common ground. It's just, it's not practically feasible, I think, for us to all learn to speak Turkish and Italian sure. and Somali and, you know, it's and all the, of the languages that are present.
0: And here. I understand that. When I was saying that I get frustrated by people that say, well, you should speak English, and I get that. It makes yeah. sense logistically. All I'm saying is people should have patience. That's right. And you should be part of like, helping them yeah, learn to speak English. Absolutely. Right. If you're getting frustrated right. by your neighborhood bagger guy because mm-hmm. he doesn't understand you asking to take your stuff to the car, take five minutes and say car, you know, bang, walk, or whatever it is. We're all in this together.
1: Just be aware of that they need to learn to speak English. I don't really disagree with that, but realize grandma and grandpa, you can't leave them in Somalia when everybody came here. They are not going to learn to speak English because of their age. More than likely. Those that are physically capable of learning the language, it's not an overnight success story. It can take years to get really comfortable. So be part, if you're going to insist that people learn to speak the language, I think that it's reasonable that we become a part of that process Mm -hmm. to make that as easy as possible. There are things that you can do to make that easier or harder for people. Sure.
0: We have a lot of people that are not native English speakers here in Nashville for whatever reason. There seems, I mean, I come from Seattle where of course there's tons of people that are not necessarily English speakers. Um, but I find it, it's always a nice bonding moment when I meet somebody and I say, Tell me how to say this in your
1: language. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Because right.
0: then suddenly I don't know something. Right. They don't know something. Right. And we're and I find that a nice moment.
1: Right. Well it, it casts the other person as an authority, which as someone adapting to a new culture is often an experience that they so rarely get to do. Yeah. You know? When you know the when the other person is able to contribute in a way that they, you know, that they're comfortable and confident with, that's such a big deal to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to go to somebody's house and they cook a meal for you is such a big deal for them. I, I benefit tremendously because I get to eat all this great food. They get to do something for me in return. Sure. And honestly, I, I truly believe that's. I I really really believe that most folks want to become contributors. They are big-time believers in the American dream in mm-hmm. ways that, as native-born Americans, we can, we really can't appreciate what a big deal it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think it's crazy to be concerned about... We see terrorism a lot in the world today. There's a lot of horrible things that are going down right now. I don't think it's crazy to be concerned about that. But I think that when I think about refugees in the U.S., broadly speaking, I'm certainly not intimidated. I'm gen- my general impression is these are people who want to contribute, who want to be part of making America just a, a great place to live. You know, they want their kids to be okay. They want their families to be okay. They want to contribute. They want to give back. And they're doing most, you know, nine times out of ten, they're knocking themselves out trying to make that happen.
0: I saw a video the other day, um, uh, it was a room full of people from all over, mm-hmm. That they, they, the v- video was filmed in Europe, I'm assuming, um, and the panelists <clears throat> individually interviewed each person and said, is there any particular, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, ah. Ethnicity, whatever that you don't like. Okay. Just across the border. And so somebody would say, oh yeah, I don't like the Turks or okay. I don't like the Germans or okay. I don't like the whatever. So we went down through the line asking these people. And then they gave them all the DNA tests. Okay. in the tube, tube goes off, they reconvened. And then in front of everyone, they came forward, okay. and the results were given, and they had to read them aloud of what their backgrounds were, and <laughs> inevitably, of course,
1: there was some of that. Some woodpile. of the thing yeah. that they hated right.
0: about whatever the, the re, you know, and, and the reason that they hated whatever race or whatever uh, they were right. in some percentage. Right. And one of the women interviewed, and it turned out that two people in the audience were cousins. Wow! I didn't even know it, and they were from opposite side. Uh, one was a. a uh, I think one was maybe Syrian and the other one was uh, Israeli. Okay. Yeah. And wow. they went to like second cousins sure, or something okay. like that. And uh, which was a really profound moment for them. Sure. And anyway, the woman said, every human being should take this test. Mm. And I thought, I was like, man, wouldn't that be something? Yeah. Because suddenly these walls, these, that we build in our minds right. about why we're better than or less yes. than mm-hmm. would be, have to sort of really yeah, I mean, put some cracks in those walls it right? really it, would yeah. because suddenly these people that I don't like by virtue of no reason other right. than I don't like them right. maybe I am them right. because truly we are mm-hmm. and that that's the thing that frustrates me the most about humanity and my father will always say you know it's always been this way it's just now we know about it because mass media and all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And I get that. You know, human beings are always trying to figure out a way to feel better about themselves. And the best way to do that is to feel worse about someone, you know, to make somebody <laughs> else the right. bad guy.
1: Climb up on somebody else's exactly. shoulders for a better view. Yeah. You know,
0: but I just, it really touched me to watch that video and to think, yeah, man, if we all just spit in a jar and send it off to the lab, we'd realize like be right. <laughs> yeah. that so we were all the same. Right. With just some quirky differences here and there. Anyway, thank you so much for oh, being a part of this. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Really appreciate it. Um, uh, I'm going to put links and things up on the website, so please send send me a, an email with some things you'd maybe like people to see. And, I absolutely will do that. Yeah. 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 Is there any particular website you can recommend if somebody wants to know more?
1: You know, I think if some if somebody wants to know more, avail yourself of an opportunity to. Say hello to somebody that you Good. might not say hello to otherwise, and, and just start opening those doors. That's, yeah. that's the most powerful piece of, of this whole puzzle. Awesome. All right, thanks Thank a lot you. for coming over.